0: Hello and welcome to Where's Shaz, the podcast. I'm Shaz Ahmed and my mission is to empower, educate and inspire you with stories, knowledge and guests in the world of property, finance and business. So let's go. Hello and welcome to the podcast once again. Today's guest is someone who has a wealth of experience, knowledge, and expertise when it comes to property, finance, and investment. Kevin Wright is an investor, mortgage broker, mentor, and coach, speaker, and much more. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot then. That, that was a quite a roll call, wasn't
0: it? I like, I like to big people up. Who come on
1: the show, to be honest. Um, you certainly did that. Yeah,
0: thanks for coming on Kevin. I know you're awfully busy. And again, being in the same field, we're all very busy right now. Yes. So appreciate your time. Indeed. Um, Kevin, so before we get into the nitty gritty and deep dive into creative finance, what I like everyone to share, all of the guests to share, is their mission statement. So, why do you do what you do?
1: Um, yeah, it's a good question, really. Um, I just like to, uh, I like to light a fire under as many people, um, to do bigger and better things than they think they're capable of. I think that's it, really. To
0: see other people grow and then just yeah. fill their dreams, as it were. That's brilliant, amazing and I've been on LinkedIn so I've done my research but I'd rather you tell the story so what has been your background and journey up till this point were you an investor first and then a broker after that how did that all
1: happen yeah um, first of all an investor Um, did my first buy refurb and sell back in um, 1983 bought a wreck did it up sold it banked the cash never a bad outcome and uh, then um, bought a wreck, did it up, rented it out. Then um, had a bit of a revelation. Um, hang on, if I buy a wreck, do it up, rent it out, by the room, I can make more money. Uh, now known as HMOs, um, not back then. And over that period, I've done new build, um, been a commercial landlord, resi landlord, um, and um all of that. Still a landlord today. And um yeah, um then got into finance uh, in nineteen ninety two and um really um, started heavily mortgage brokering um what would that have been late late nineties. Um so yeah um and then post credit crunch uh, when um, my very successful brokerage wasn't so successful because all the things that, that we used to do pre-credit crunch i.e. Um, um, self-certified, um, adverse credit, um, uh, continual remortgaging none of those things particularly worked well so um, until they came back uh, I got into bridging um, I was doing a bit of bridging before but I've just got in really heavily into bridging um, from about 2010 onwards, um, and since that time, um, we've brokered literally hundreds of bridging loans and development loans. Um, and of course, the mortgages have came back, come back um, during the last ten years as well. So yeah,
0: brilliant. So it seems, sounds like you've seen the highs, the lows, and the highs again. And definitely adapted your business to, to what the market needs. Yeah, more than once. Uh, but that's a good thing. It <laughs> shows, you know, ones. you've got a sustainable model and you're you're good good at adapting to what the market's doing. Um we operate in a similar space in yeah. terms of the finance that we arrange, but in terms of your niche, you know, what where do you see that what is your niche in terms of the market?
1: Well, um, uh, I think there's you know if if any investor wants to uh, to find a broker, they're never going to be short of one because when I last checked, there were over fifty thousand registered with the FCA. So um, you know, there's a there's a multitude of brokers. Um, a, a pretty a minority of brokers actually invest as well. Um, so you know that would be a and di- one defining factor. But even the brokers that invest, a lot of those. Um, really only do main res and, and uh, sim, single AST buy to let. Um, you know, it, when you get into complex brokering, the field gets progressively smaller. Um, my focus now is on speaking, teaching and mentoring. So I retain the shareholding in the brokerage, but I'm not active in it day to day. Although myself and my business partner speak pretty much uh, on a daily basis. Um, so, um, you know, I'm full time in, in uh, teaching and speaking and mentoring people. So if they're not sure of what their next step should be, then, um, then I can spend some time uh, uh, with them on that. And it doesn't t- I think the biggest thing, you know, brokers would pr- probably want to do that. But the challenge they face is the longer they spend um, sharing knowledge and information, people the less they're able to uh, spend on brokering and there's and there's a there's a pull in both directions whereas with our arrangement um you know my business partner tony you know he's he's he's, his thoughts are well he's too busy brokering to spend too much time um teaching people and uh my view on it is i'm too busy teaching and, and mentoring and speaking to spend time brokering so we continually bat. um Clients backwards and forwards, so Tony. I mean, Tony, will have a five-minute conversation, but if it's getting too detailed, he'll just sort of say, hang, "Hang on a minute, um, I think you need to be speaking to Kevin."
0: That clearly works, and clearly it's working for you. And I, we will definitely touch on the education. Yeah,
1: works. It works. It works great.
0: Uh, yeah. um, one thing I've always wondered in terms of marketing and you know, social. If you go on Facebook now and someone needs a, a mortgage book for buy to let or bridging loans, nine times out of ten you'll be tagged in or you'll respond with an answer. Yeah. First question I have is, it is it always you or do you have a, is there a team Kevin?
1: (laughs) It's always me. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I've got time to do that because I'm not um, distracted by um, the day-to-day brokering. So, you know, I'm the, I'm the social media face of the brokerage.
0: Perfect. And what I like about you, Kevin, um, and this is one of the things I think why kind of we've interacted quite a lot is your responses are authentic. They're not, Fluffy, you tell it how it is, and yeah. and also it's the right way to do things. You're not trying to say, okay, let's work around it and find a way that maybe that we can make this works more. About this is the right way. This is the only way. And here's a video if you need to watch the video. So, um, yeah, I mean, how do you find? Do you find that approach is the best approach? Just be yourself and just be straight up and honest.
1: Well, um, you're never going to please all the people t- all the time. Um, so you just remain true to yourself and you will attract some people and repel others and i'm quite happy to repel people that don't see it my way absolutely
0: and that that is like what they call it an abundance mindset there's enough to go around
1: yeah. um you know um, you know there's enough enough people will say kev i like i like you straight talking i like you no bs um you're someone i get on with mm-hmm. um and occasionally people will say um, I don't like it <laughs> so that, there we are that's okay
0: yeah exactly and those people who don't like it they were never going to be your clients anyway because that worked no, be right you know
1: and and if they're trying to do dodgy stuff we don't want them as clients
0: exactly and and that's that's a good thing I think I would count myself in, in this is there's a, a section of brokers who are trying to educate people to do things the right way yeah. even you know I don't care about the sale so much. I'd rather you not make an expensive mistake and just do things the right way. It's your property journey in the end of the day. Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, biggest thing is mortgage fraud. Yeah. Because, um, uh, you know, for us, it's a staying business issue. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because if a lender um, does some um, post-completion audit and they just come across a case that, hey, this doesn't look, look right, um, who which broker sent this one in? Mm. let's 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 take another 10 sample cases from that broker and see if it was an isolated thing yeah. oh hang on a minute it wasn't mm-hmm. so um so our view is that it's actually not the client that's driving this it's the broker tell you what let's just strike him off of our um, accepted broker list yeah. um, and actually let's tell a few other lenders as well um that this um this brokers actually you know, not someone we want to be dealing with now. You know, a mortgage broker that can't get mortgages doesn't have much of a business.
0: Exactly, and um, yeah, it's it's your license on the line, it's, and no deal is worth risking your license.
1: You know, and and for what? For a few hundred quid yeah. that you're going to earn out of doing a, <laughs> out of doing a hooky mortgage? No need
0: for it. No need for it. Now, Kevin.
1: Well, it's it's just it's short-sighted.
0: Yeah. So, Kevin, I I sometimes in my own head because I I think about these things, I equate you to be like the apple of mortgage broken purely because with apple they had a slogan there's an app for that i think you're at a point where it's like (laughs) there's a video for that or there's an instagram post for that did you feel that way where (laughs) most of the questions you've got an answer for already
1: yeah and you know and simply that you know i guess the main driver for that was just to save time you know um so i didn't have to type out the same response 50 times i can just say you know um here's my video go watch that.
0: um Um, where do you find you get the most traction from uh youtube facebook or instagram because i've seen instagram again and there's more shorter clips because Um, it's medium
1: it's probably a mix really i mean facebook because i've been on there the longest um youtube second because that's where i went next and then instagram probably third because that's the most recent one so um, i'm i'm guessing that's where you know, it, it, it's longevity, I think, that probably drives that.
0: What I like about your videos is there is a certain level of quality with the videos. So I know there is one mindset where get it finished, it doesn't have to be perfect. But actually, you know, if you take a little bit more attention to detail, if things look better or sound better, they're better received. So, yeah, your videos are in a nice office. They're well lit. They're well recorded. How I mean, how long did that all take? Because you've got a large collection of videos on your own.
1: Um, Well... I, I recorded some of my live events, um, my live training events. Um, I think I started off. I, I had about twenty uh, of those, which were just Q and A's, um, and and then it's basically been one a week since then.
0: Brilliant. Okay, and, and you're now doing your, is it every morning or is it once a week uh, the morning sessions?
1: Oh, the the, the live Q and A's. Yeah, once a week, um, Monday at eight thirty. Yeah. Um, through through a variety of. Um, streams through YouTube, um, um, a couple of my own pages, um, and uh, a couple of groups um, right. that I'm either that either mine or I'm or I'm admin for.
0: Sure. Yeah, and so. speaking of Facebook groups, I think word of mouth these days is now replaced with the social media which spreads even yeah. further and further. And on some groups you know someone just has to mention bridging and I'll see the same people tag you again and again, which is fine. Um yeah, no. But you have got, a, I will not say a cult, but you have got a rabid kind of following where clearly you've done a good service or they're happy with what you've yeah. done for them and they want the world to know. So yeah. you're doing That's something nice. right, Kevin, definitely. Yeah, it's nice. It is nice course. Um, now, moving on to training. So I think the two that I've picked up is you do recycle your cash and Ninja Investors. Hmm. I'm guessing you've had to move on to online. So... What do they cover? What you know? What what you offering in those courses?
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's essentially, um, I guess, how not to be like other property investors. Mm-hmm. So it's about going down the road less travelled. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the majority of investors tend to be taught to look at low value um, properties needing a light refurb, um, and If everyone's looking at the same thing then it's a crowded marketplace and and it's difficult to get a good deal if 20 other investors all want the same deal Um, so just look at the stuff where other people um, don't look or are taught not to look and that's for problem properties with the problem you can fix Um, so predominantly unmortgageable properties for a variety of reasons Um, Um, I mean it helps if the seller's motivated I mean most training is going to tell you that and it's accurate you know if you can um, if you can talk to someone that a vendor that needs to sell their property rather than merely wants to sell their property you've got a better chance of buying it at a a better price Um, and if you can get rid of most of your competition by focusing on stuff that um, you can't mortgage right now um, but of course um, bridging is freely available for uh then you've got a better chance of doing a deal um you know and a couple of my uh, students recently um ones um had a uh, offer accepted at 358 on a property that was um on the asking price was 420. why could because it was a problem it had a short lease um another one had a property that was an offer accepted of 190 on a property that was originally marketed at 254 reduced to 230. Why? Because it was a um, um, single-skin timber frame bungalow, you know, um, and these are the stuff that ordinary investors don't don't want to touch yeah, or how don't know you, how, to deal with.
0: how to deal with. And I find as well is um, if someone's using a deal source or a property sourcer uh, and they're presented with a deal that's marked as below market value it's often not the case or there's a reason it's below value because it needs to be put back
1: yeah and well to be fair property sources wouldn't be going after unmortgageable properties because um their database um or the the, um, the the demand in their database would be relatively small so they're going to be um you know uh, sources need need volume yeah. um and um so they're going to be pitching you know the more um vanilla type properties that need a you know a, a small refurb um, to their databases so pr- pretty much these are mortgage ones people my students find, a, find their own um, so it's, 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 it's getting completely conversant with bridging and understanding every aspect of how it works so you take the scary out of it because you know you, you, you're frightened or you're wary of things you don't understand when you perfectly understand it um, it's not scary, so it's, it's fully acclimatising people with every aspect of bridging, so they use it with confidence. Um, it's also being there to support them and analyse their deals um, when they're using bridging to make sure they get it right. Um, you know, I've had um, two or three um, students pinging me um, emails or Facebook messages this morning because um, they've found properties and they're putting their deal together and teach them how not to overpay for a property. to factor in all the costs you know there's formulas for that Um, what to do when their offers get rejected Um, how to um, become a a preferred uh, investor with an estate agent in double quick time by the things you say to them Um, how to um, present your if you're doing a buy refurb and refinance um, how to present your um, property to a, a mortgage lenders valuer in the way they want to see it to give you the uplifted value you're trying to get um, so it's um, you know all of all, all of that sort of stuff so it's all part of the training
0: so it sounds very thorough I mean looking at the name so recycle your cash to me would suggest it's more focused on the, the buy refinance strategy or momentum yeah. investing whatever you call it what's the difference between that and then ninja investors
1: Is it in yeah so um Recycle cash is a philosophy or a, um, a concept. Um, it can be buy, refurb, refinance or buy, refurb, sell. Um, it can even be buy, don't refurb and sell because uh, <laughs> that's um, that's another um, angle that I teach people is to is how to buy a property um, and then sell it again for a profit without doing anything to it. Um, so that's a bit of a, more of a niche one. Um, but Ninja Investor Program is the uh, seven modules where you learn how to recycle your cash. So recycle cash is the concept that you learn via the Ninja Investor Program.
0: Okay, cool. Um, now, Kevin, let's go into the deep dive and just kind of get as much value out of yourself as possible whilst we've got you. <laughs>
1: okay, why so not?
0: first of all, when it comes to bridging finance, how should investors look to approach bridging finance? You know what what should they be thinking first of all
1: um with caution uh and to fully understand the costs um and uh the biggest mistake that I see um investors making with bridging finance is to be over optimistic on how long the refurb is going to take if it's a refurb or conversion if it's that um and how much it's going to cost in terms of the cost of the refurb um, so they they tend to take a, a, a short, too short a term out on the bridging and are not in a position to repay it at the point that, um, that, that they said they would at the start of the loan so for example they take a 6 month bridging loan and then at, at, on the, the anniversary of the 6 months um, they haven't finished the refurb. Or if they finished a refurb, they've got it on the market, but they haven't got a um, a buyer. Or if they have got a buyer, the buyer hasn't got their mortgage. Um, or if they're refinancing it, um, the mortgage lender's not re- not ready to um, uh, not not ready to, to g- give the money uh, for the mortgage. So the mortgage is still being processed when they they're running out of time. So that's the biggest thing I think that people get wrong is they underestimate. How long it's going to take them to do whatever it is that they're going to do to put themselves in a position to repay them yeah and
0: i I always say to people it's always better to have a longer term than you think you need to ask for an extension because look you'll always get an extension they'll charge you a renewal fee and all that but sure get a longer term you're only going to pay interest for the amount you've used anyway just be safe rather than sorry
1: but i think what what drives that is a they think they want to keep the the um, bridging costs down when of course, if they get the, the term wrong, they, won't, they don't keep them down. They actually escalate faster. And secondly, they they um, because bridging works diametrically opposite to mortgages in many in many instances. They apply their knowledge to mo- mortgages and think that bridging works the same. So because mortgages have a redemption penalty, um, they naturally assume that bridging lenders also have a redemption penalty. So therefore, um, they don't go, they don't take 12 month bridging loan um, because they think, oh, that's going to cost me, you know, too much. Um, not not realizing that if they take a 12 month bridging loan and redeem it after six months, they only get charged six months interest. So it, it, it's not it's not having the, the, the depth of knowledge um, or maybe using a broker that's um, occasionally does a bridging loan but is pretty good on mortgages or even excellent on mortgages but just not hasn't got the same level of knowledge on bridging so they don't get that that insight into how to use bridging intelligently definitely
0: and i think and i've posted about this in the past is when people are approaching brokers first of all the the questions investors ask brokers when deciding who to use a broker generally sometimes isn't the best so don't lead on fees because that's not important um don't lead on whole of market, because that is a misleading question. You know, ask them how many bridging loans have you arranged? Have you got an example of one that you've done recently? Those yeah. are the kind of questions you should
1: ask. If, if it's yeah. bridging, yeah, that's right, yeah. And, you know, and, and experience is, um, I think, you know, ev- everyone's got to start somewhere and it's easier to start as a mortgage broker um, when you're, you know, you're not experienced because you're, you um, your sourcing systems like TriGold or MortgageBrain um, actually do a lot of the heavy lifting. So even if you're not that experienced as a mortgage broker with with um, this lender, that lender or the other lender, you can punch it all into you know your sourcing system and it will do the heavy lifting for you and come out with a top 20 lenders and you can just sort of drill doing that. And then you, then you can do that. In bridging, there is no equivalent. So in bridging, it is down to, you know, how many bridging deals have you done and how experienced are you? And um, there is no shortcut to doing hundreds of bridging loans. Absolutely
0: not. The more you do, the more you learn as a broker as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and the, 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 the parallel I draw is that if you want to be a commercial airline pilot, there's only one way you get your licence, and that's the, that's the number of flying hours that you've done. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts, by the way, on terms of, The current lenders in terms of bridging at the moment I mean I'm I genuinely think there's too many bridging lenders without specific niches or USPs as a lot of lenders were funded by the same funding lines all doing the same thing not really in control of their money all saying the same things what are your thoughts Mm. in terms of what's out there from from a lending side of things
1: well having been involved in bridging for more than 10 years um, I've seen a massive expansion of lenders predominantly within the last five years Um, Now um, borrowers benefit in two ways from that. One is um, the two two big changes in bridging over that time, um, uh, driven by new entrants into the market is one product innovation. So there are products now available that you wouldn't have been able to do five years ago um, or or maybe a bit longer. And one simple one of those is refurb bridging where you borrow 100% of the refurb costs. Now, um, whichever bridging lender thought that up, all they did was look at how development finance works and say, hey, let's invent a bridging product that, that is an exact replica, pretty much, of development finance. So now people have got a handful of lenders where they can borrow 100% of the refurb costs. Um, you know, Go back eight or 10 years, that wasn't possible. So product innovation, um and you've got um other stuff like um, post-development bridging and uh, you know a whole host of other sort of product innovation so product innovation is one um um factor that benefits borrowers the other thing that benefits borrowers is lower interest rates now if you go back um six seven years ago the standard rate for bridging was one and a half percent a month yeah, that was what bridges charge—one and one and a half percent a month uh, now you'll 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 be lucky or you'll be uh, unlucky if you put it properly to find a bridging loan of more than one percent a month and most are less in varying degrees so the borrower is benefiting because bridging is cheaper than it's ever been to use if people still say bridging or oh, bridging's expensive um, but um, and compared to you know mortgages it is but it's it's less expensive than it's ever been so and um, those are the two benefits now what you've got you have got um, a number of identical bridges that they all they do is exactly the same as um, five other bridges yeah so um, but you know it's almost like anyone with a bit of spare capital or access to spare capital uh, and i mean a bit of spare capital i mean a few million <laughs> in terms of a bit but anyone that's got you know that sort of spare capital um or access to it says hey why don't we start a bridging company you know um and you know that's where you've got the the, the dozens and dozens and dozens of bridges um you know um most are carbon copies of of other bridges there's nothing distinguishing about them yeah
0: and it's 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 frustrating because you know i'll get an email or I'll get a call to say when you're in the market with four investors buy yeah. investors and then you look through the offering and it's hard to push that to an investor because there's just nothing is yeah. nothing new about it. Um, and I agree with you in terms of cost as well. Yeah, you know, you're correct. So I think bridging these days, the actual annual cost on the interest rate is about the same as you'd offer an investor.
1: So if, if you're asking about if your comment there is what's the you know what's the difference between bridging and a private investor, if they're charging more or less the same rate, you know, if if you can get you know I don't know an eight, a bridging at eight percent a year or a um, private investor at eight percent a year. Um, I think there's a fundamental difference, and it's not the fact that the bridge charge is a fee. Um, it's the mindset of who's lending you the money. Yeah. Now, and and there are times when private investors um, uh, uh, suit suit better, and there are times when bridging or development lenders suit better. But there is one fundamental difference in the mindset. Now. Most private investors are cash limited yeah. and um, typically between about a hundred and five hundred thousand. yeah they'll clearly there'll be some more affluent ones but that's where most people m- most people sit That's the people that would go to um, people in the property community that would go and try and find private money they'd most of the time be talking on a private basis to someone with, up to a half million pounds and more than that it's people with up to half a million pounds that got it by a non-repeatable source i.e inheritance redundancy downsizing selling a small business Um, now that makes them completely understandably ultra cautious in lending that money out because if they get it wrong Aunt Mabel isn't going to die twice. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so um, they get to be super cautious, and what that means is that they their approach to lending out money is irrational and unpredictable. So, um, and the time that the crunch time comes when. Um, they've said yes this yes, that sounds good we're going to invest in, in your uh, project on there until it comes to handing over the money and that's the key time when they get cold feet and pull out um, and usually that that we need the money is when you need to exchange contracts so the, the, in, in the day or two before you're going to exchange contracts on the deal that's when if a private investor is going to pull out um, that's when they're going to do it, which of course is the most inconvenient time. This is
0: the last thing you want to happen.
1: Actually, it's the second most inconvenient time, because we've seen investors, um, private investors, pull out of a deal after you've exchanged contracts, um, and that really is a scary place to be. Um, you know, and we've, we've rectified the situation. They've come to us needing bridging um, in a hurry because they exchanged contracts last week they've got three weeks to complete and now they've got no money to complete with Um, so yeah so uh, and of course the other thing is um, where this this unpredictability is uh, yes you can have my money for a year Um, three months later they're saying I need it back but you you said it was we agreed it was a year yeah I know but my daughter wants to go to university now so you know I've, I've got unexpected expenditure um, so it's this irrationality and unpredictability now bridging lenders don't have that so it, there is no there is no emotion uh, is there is no emotional attachment to bridges money it's a business it's business They're
0: there to lend money
1: so um, and, and of course they you know their funds uh, their pockets are, are not deeper you know I mean uh, a lot deeper um, you know I mean even the most small, scale bridger you know it's got a few million pound to lend they're all based in manchester <laughs> manchester <laughs> or london yeah most of them here yeah. <clears throat> so um so yeah th- those are you know um again um if you just want 20 grand for um to fund a refurb you know it's it, it's not cost effective to use bridging you know y- you are better to then to say you know to approach whoever it is you know uh, can you lend me 20 grand for a few weeks um you know that would be better that sort of stuff is better done privately um but um you know in in other cases you know bridging is less hassle than private people
0: yeah because there's a process yeah
1: it is yeah i mean you haven't got to buy a bridge of endless cups of coffee and and a few dinners um to to convince them to lend to you
0: (laughs) Sure. um kevin in terms of creative deals or some sort of mini case studies not to put you on the spot are there any deals that come to mind that you've brokered or arranged that, you know, you know what, this is an example I could use to help other investors show the possibilities of bridging.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, there's, um, you know, it's about getting stuff at the right price. I mean, we did a, um, a deal for a guy. Um, I mean, I could pick loads and loads, but um, we did a guy, a deal for a guy. It was an auction purchase um, about, uh, about a year ago, about March March twenty twenty, just before the lockdown, actually we got it in, and there was a um, a problem with the property, which you'd expect with auction, because um, there's always a problem. Otherwise, why would it be an auction in most cases? Um, and this this one was where the guy was um, uh, the um, the owner had put it up on the, uh, put it up um, for sale. They'd only about five years. They were selling it at a loss, um, and part of the issue that was putting people off was um, that the communal areas were very dilapidated. Um, so the guy looked at it, and uh, our client looked at it, and, and thought, well, you know, I mean, there was there was um, there was water leaking in the in the stairway and that, and he thought, well, actually, I, I could probably fix these. So he he budgeted to fix them himself. Um, and then once he, he bought it at auction, um, I think paid about 93 for it, um, plus, plus auctioneers fees. And um, the flat needed a refurb as well. And so he got chatting to the managing agent, um, who, who the, the, the seller had said, oh, they're useless, they never do anything. They won't do any um, um, reparation work at all. And um, got chatting to the managing, uh, the managing agent and actually, the reason they weren't doing um, reparation work was because some of the other owners in the block weren't paying their um, management fees. So uh, he said, up, you know, they said when they pay the managing fees and you know, get it up to date with that, we'll start doing the work. So um, there was a couple of bits of maintenance, and uh, so our client said, well, I'll do them for you. You know I'll, I'll get I've got a guy you know he'll jump up on the roof and check check out the tiles and we'll stop the leak and I'll repaint the communal areas because it was in his interest to do so um and so the managing agent said oh well okay great and here's the kicker he said send us your bill for it when, when you've done it so <laughs> it didn't even cost him anything to get to get the communal areas looking looking decent um And, um, I think he spent, you know, no more than about 10,000, but got it valued at 150 on a mortgage. So pulled pretty much all of his cash back out, um, within, within a matter of months.
0: And that isn't your typical BRIs, That's not what you'd normally find or expect having those kind of projects.
1: But it's, um, but it, you know, it's, it's sort of thinking outside the box. You know, instead of, oh, I'm not going to buy this because that's what everyone else was doing. I think it, was, it might have been the second time it went to auction, didn't sell it all, didn't sell. Um, so I think it went in with a lower guide price because she just wanted a shot of it. Um, but um, but yeah, so it's, you know, normal thinking is, oh, there's a problem with that. You know, the, 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 the managing agent's not looking after it, but actually think, thinking outside the box, I guess you could call it if you want to use that phrase. Well, um, uh, actually, I could get that fixed, and if I buy it at the right price, there's enough money in it for, for it to get fixed. And then the bonus is when you think when you think differently to most people, you you find there's an unexpected benefit there because the managing agent, you know, isn't rubbish anyway. They're actually decent, but it's the other, it's the other, the other <laughs> flat owners that, that that are the problem, not the managing agent. Absolutely. But yeah.
0: Now, speaking of auctions, I mean. Every, I think everyone's got a different way of doing it, or a different process they prefer. So, speaking of auctions, when would you suggest someone approaches a broker pre-auctions At auction? I've had people come to me a week after the auction.
1: Yeah, I, I must admit, most of the people, certainly the people that that um, have been trained by me, tend to come to us the um, uh, the day, the same day or the next day after they've. Had their successful bid. I mean, a because they know that bridges lend to everyone, so they don't have this panic about oh well, I won't, I won't get a bridger to lend to me. Well, of course you will, you know. Um, you know, again, it's this mortgage buyer mindset. They, 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 they they, un, they, they see that mortgage lenders are very picky, so not knowing any better, investors think that um, bridges are equally picky. Well, of course they're not. So you know anyone that's been trained by me knows that you know you're you, you already um, pre-approved for bridging with every more, pretty much every bridging lender there is. So that they just tend to go and bid, um, and when they're successful, and we've had probably about uh, about three in the last four weeks that have just thrown me out and say, "Oh, <laughs> I just got a, just got a property auction. Like <laughs> we better sort some bridging out for you then." Yeah. Um, so you get those um uh, that type of investor and then you get the ones that are not quite as clued up and they want to get some sort of um decision in principle from a bridger um before they go to auction um you know and i guess we don't mind doing that um you know it doesn't take too much time to do that but you know it's 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 more time for them filling out the inquiry form um to enable us to get terms really then that, that that's really the the thing but um and then again it's only you know indicative terms when, when the, um we're not going to spend too long um finding the the best bridging terms um for property they're statistically more likely to get out bid on than buy so we get serious about it when they've actually bought you, it. you
0: prefer the live deals because they're committed to buying it they're definitely going to go ahead let's find the best deal yeah. and then leading on from that in terms of inquiries um Let's verbalize this because we've spoken about it before on Facebook and so on. So, what do bridging lenders like it when they see the same deal from the same client from different brokers? And if not, why not?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely not. I mean, the, the quickest way to get yourself turned down by bridges is give your deal to six brokers and they all start punting it out um, to um, pretty much the same or similar yep. lenders um and all that a bridging lender sees when he's got the same deal from four four brokers is oh this th- these um, borrowers must be desperate yeah. what they don't see is oh they're playing the market and seeing who can get the de- best deal that's not what they see what they see is uh blimey these must be really desperate for it if they put it out to all these brokers um hmm I think we just pass on this. They they sound like trouble. Right? I've seen they'll refuse they'll to refuse quote. They uh, refuse to quote. So um, on a deal that they put, if they if they'd have been the only, um, uh, if it only come through one broker, they'd, they'd have done it. So it's counterproductive, you know. So it has it has the reverse effect to what the 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 investor thinks they're doing by spraying it around to different bridges.
0: I agree and I want to just also verbalise this because I love your explanation. So, uh, when an investor says who is the best bridging lender to go to for this deal, why is it not wise to approach a bridging lender directly?
1: Okay, good. Well, let's think about it logically. Now, you go to bridging lender A and as a borrower and you say, hey, can you do me this deal? um they're going to say yes we can in most cases they might say no we're not but they're most going to say yes we can and think about this logically what they're not going to say is yeah we can do it but actually we're going to be a bit pricey on this one um I suggest you go to Bridger B and use them for this one now are they going to say that (laughs) not a chance in hell not a chance of course not of course not (laughs) so um unless you understand the bridging market the danger of going uh, direct to lender on a recommendation is, first of all, whoever whoever said, oh, we used um, Bridge A, go and use them. Well, Bridge A might have been the best for their deal. That doesn't mean to say they're the best for your deal. Um, so um, uh, yeah, you end up potentially paying more. Um, i don't know whether the motivation is you want to get out of paying a broker fee but um potentially you um you 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 end up paying more than the broker fee you're trying to save
0: absolutely and the thing is yeah if they've been recommended by another investor chances are like you said similar to what you said they might have been a good lender for that particular deal but even for that investor for that next deal if it's a different deal altogether yeah not, they may yeah. not be the best in inverted commas for
1: and, the and you know and no bridger is the is is the the keenest on every deal
0: yeah they've all got a sort of sweet spot or
1: what they prefer they've all got sweet spots yeah absolutely otherwise there wouldn't be room for 50 plus um bridges absolutely in the market <laughs> okay. but, um, uh, yeah,
0: yeah and kevin so i mean i think this is changing a little bit but um what i've found when i've been through through my years now is um Property education and training. I find they're very focused on the front end. So finding these good deals, building relations with agents and sources, but very little focus on actually being mortgageable in the back end. Yeah. But that is changing. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, have you come across that or had uh, clients <coughs> Fre- students?
1: Frequently, um, because um, the whole focus of property training. Is making it appear possible, and possible without too many hassles. Um, and I think there's, um, um, in fact, someone that um, came uh, recently on my training said that um, you know w- the training they'd done previously with whichever company that was, the, the the sort of how to finance the deal was sort of brushed aside or not really covered in it in anywhere near the depth of how getting the deal but of course you know anyone knows that the um if you can't finance a deal you haven't got a deal um so yeah there's there's um i I can understand why because you know to say um hey you know this is a this is what you should be doing in property but you're going to have a real struggle to finance it doesn't really um uh does not create the right impression um for your course um you know now you know my training is because it's it's um broker based if you like it's it's all built around my knowledge as a broker then it's it is how to get stuff financed and how to dump the stuff that you can't get financed so it you know it comes from the other end of of the of the spectrum you know pretty much every training course is you know here's the strategy we we think you should do and here's how we borrow the money to do it yeah whereas my training is um okay it doesn't matter which strategy you want to do pick, pick whichever one you want there's loads but here's how you finance the one you want to do
0: yeah absolutely because look unless you're like say a cash buyer you need to get institutional finance yeah, you need
1: finance you know and um you know and yes you can finance it privately but um that only gets you certain part way you know you're not going to get any investor going to give you money for 10 years or longer so you need if you're going to if it's portfolio building you're going to need to be attractive to mortgage lenders
0: no so yeah i think it has changed slightly and i know you get invited to speak at some events and so do i so hopefully sure. we can help with that but yeah there's definitely a disconnect when yeah. it comes to now how are you mortgageable yeah. because they don't really talk about that um yeah. Kevin a few things just to cover off in terms of myths and facts and how often these things happen because there's common social media questions all the time
1: always like to bust a few
0: myths (laughs) okay so open market value bridging if someone says they found something below market value let's just say they believe it's worth 200,000 pounds because that's what is on White move they've secured it exactly at 25% below market value first of all can you get funding against the open market value secondly how often in practice have you found that the actual value has come back as
1: yeah um so um on one of my videos <laughs> <laughs> um, i talk about the five types of bridging um which i've identified as a purchase bridge a market value bridge a refer bridge a done up value bridge and a cross collateral bridge so um a market value bridge um the the, the handful of lenders that do that lend on the lower of the asking price or value. Whereas most bridges and all mortgage lenders lend on the lower of the purchase price or value. So um, if if, if you're buying it below asking price, then potentially um, you don't have to put 25% down. Now, the, the caveat to that is the bridging lenders valuer has got to agree that it's worth more than you're paying for it in its and the 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 phrase i use is true current value yeah so it's not what it might be worth once you've spent 20 or 30 grand on it it's not what you think it was worth um because next door um sold um for that it's what the bridges lenders values and you know market value bridges do send their bridges out and say give us a um give us a um a realistic valuation don't automatically default to the purchase price Whereas purchase value bridges and mortgage lenders um, send their values out with the uh, instruction to say default default to the purchase price and only tell us if you don't think it's worth even that.
0: Yeah, you'll never get upvalued on a mortgage.
1: Or a... No. no, and, and, a, and a, even a market value bridge is not going to lend you um, more than the asking price. You're not going to base it, you know, value it at more than the asking price because their justification is, you know if it was worth more than the asking price they'd be asking it they'd be, <laughs> the asking price would be higher <laughs> um the only time when when it would be truly lent at market value with a market value bridger is if it's direct to vendor so if it's, if it's not actually listed anywhere there's no there is no asking price because it's not with any agent then um it would be uh, based on market value but with three comparables yeah so that that would be true market hey. value bridging
0: next is refurb bridging so okay you get a hundred percent towards the cost subject to certain and values being met but can you explain the drawdown process how's that
1: work? yeah very simply in in uh, in stages in arrears that's what i say um, you know in a nutshell <laughs> now to expand on that let's say you've got i don't know let's say you've got a um um a, a big refurb let's say it's sixty thousand. um so the bridges um valuer would uh, along with the bridge would decide how they're going to slice up those tranches and for ease of explanation let's say it's three tranches of 20. Um, so because the bridges lend you the maximum loan to value day one they're not going to lend you any more until you've done some work to it so um, you would have to spend the first tranche of twenty you you'd have to put your own cash um, or Cash you borrowed from a private individual to go back to a previous um, <laughs> part of our conversation um, to fund that first tranche, and then you'd um, let the bridger know. Um, right, we've done we've done that. We've done the first third. Um, outcome out their value would come, and you'd pay their um, visit fee, which wouldn't be the same as a full valuation because they're not doing a full valuation. They're just doing an inspection. Um, they would look at what you'd done. They'd sign that offers as, um, uh, as a, of, a, of the required standard and the bridger would just put £20,000 in your bank account within a matter of days. Now that gives you the cash that's replenished your cash uh, pot, so you've now got the money to do phase two um, and when you've spent that you repeat that process. Out comes the valuer, um, you pay another inspection fee and they sign off the work and within a few days the money's Uh, the next 20,000 is in your bank account so now you've had 40 out of the 60 that gives you enough to finish off the refurb so it's all finished but now you're you're 20 grand down so the value comes out for a third time you pay a third inspection fee and they sign off the the completed refurb and the Bridger gives you the last tranche of 20,000
0: so you recycle that initial lot of money again again,
1: again. yeah so so now you're back with the original 20,000 you started from um, if it's sure yours, great, it's back in your bank account. If it's borrowed from a private individual, you can now give it back to them. Yep.
0: The key thing is it's in arrears, in stages. You have to have that money and your deposit yep. to even enter the deal itself. Uh, okay, and the third one, Gavin, the last one, is in terms of cross-collateral bridging, can you explain how that yep. can be used to get through 100% finance on the
1: next project? Yeah so um i mean i've got (laughs) i've got videos on all of that i can imagine i can imagine (laughs) but but, um but yeah so cross collateral bridging is where you uh to save you using a cash deposit um or paying cash for the refurb if you don't want to use a refurb bridge you use equity in a property you already own now Um, The most simplest thing of that is that you own a property with no mortgage on it. Whether it's the one you live in or one that you rent out. um, So uh, you can give the Bridger a first charge on that. And they'll lend you typically on a residential property up to 75% of the value. Because you can give them a first charge over it because it's got no mortgage on it. Um, Slightly lower loan to value if it's commercial uh so that's that's um cross-collateral bridging in its most simplistic form um, you use the equity to um to put towards a property that you want to buy um and um if it's seeing some cases it's enough to buy your desired property outright so you become a cash buyer for your desired property more commonly it's not enough there's not enough value that to buy the one you want to buy so you have um one bridging loan against two properties, the one you want to buy, and the one that you already own. Sure. Um, and that can pay for the refurb costs uh, as well, if you you know, you know, can do that that way. What's more common is that you haven't got a property that you own with no mortgage, but you've got a, a property that you own with a low mortgage, um, less than 50% of the value of the property. Um, so there, a bridger takes a second charge, they sit behind your mortgage, uh, and give you um the money you need and usually again that's for a deposit and possibly refurb costs as well and again it's one loan against two um properties one bridging loan over two properties charged mm-hmm. over two properties
0: you make it sound so civil, kevin
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's because i've explained it each everything a hundred times <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a video for that um yeah. kevin though first of all look, this has been Insightful and very valuable. Um, I wish we had more time, but I know we're both very busy. Yeah. So, just in terms of wrapping this up. So, in terms of your personal future plans, you know, where where do you see yourself, maybe the coaching business in the next say five years?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, um, I'm quite honestly, I'm having the time of my life. Really, I'm having you know the most fulfillment um, from working um, by doing, as I said, lighting a fire under other people's ambition and seeing them grow and and uh, become successful, um, you know, it's the best thing I've ever done. So, um, you know, as, um, as long as I'm um, physically able, um, and and mentally able, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'll just do what I'm doing now, but maybe just try and do it on a bit bigger scale. Um, But I don't really want to get to this thing where, where, you know, I've lost control and, you know I'm, I'm remote from this thing you know I don't I don't want to own the biggest training company in the UK I just want to work with you know as many people as I can do where I can uh, be personally involved um, uh, and um, you know whether it's just giving them the the base level training or whether they come on to do any of my mentoring programs where I you know um, I'm more closely involved with um, accountability um, and, and uh, pushing them forward but yeah, so um, you know, if I'm having such a great time doing what I'm doing, I want to carry on doing that.
0: If you enjoy it, that's the main thing isn't it?
1: Yeah. And you
0: fit into both these camps, so in terms of where do you see opportunity for business going forward for investors, brokers and perhaps even lenders, you know, where do you see maybe blind spots that people haven't
1: um, Well I think to a degree where it's always been in helping people that have a an acute need to um, sell a property, helping them out of their dilemma because um, they're they're at a block in their life and the, the property is what's tying them down to what they would rather be doing. Um, so I think um, you know there's always going to be an opportunity. You now, I mean that's been the case for the nearly forty years I've been in. Involved in property and finance, um, and um, that's not going to change. Um, you know, there are always going to be property problem properties. Um, so today's properties that aren't a problem are tomorrow's problem properties. You know, um, and you know, so for example, um, properties that um, haven't got a short lease now, in ten or twenty years, are going to have a short lease. Um, properties that are freshly refurbed now are gonna need a refurb in, in 10 to 20 years. And where we see that most um, vividly is bungalows. So bungalows tend to be bought by um, people downsizing from a, a larger family home. Now it's just the, the one or the two of them. Um, they'll get it really looking nice when they're in their approaching retirement or in their early retirement. But then they'll they'll more or less do very little to it, and then 20 years time, <clears throat> when they're either unfortunately passed away or gone into some sort of um, retirement home or supported living, um, it's 20 years out of date. So the whole whole cycle begins again. So um, I mean there are other sort of things that are uh, are more specific. I mean we've we've seen. Um, in the last ten years, um, it's become clear that there's an oversupply of commercial property and an undersupply of residential property. So there's a natural migration to repurpose um, excess uh, supply um, to meet demand, um, and I think that that is going to continue for probably the uh, you know the rest of this decade. You know, because we we haven't um, we haven't repurposed all the commercial property so that everything is being used, and we haven't s- sated the demand for residential uh, accommodation.
0: No, I agree. I agree with everything else that's gone on in the economy and the market. I think commercial opportunities to convert to resi are definitely there. Um, last question, Kevin, because again, you you know, in terms of you as a, as a broking side of things what advice would you give brokers to remain relevant and valuable and have a lot of longevity
1: um yeah i guess um keep up to date with um with what their clients want you know if you're uh, i guess you've got to choose as a broker whether you serve the main residence market or the investment market mm-hmm. um and where you divide your time you know some brokers um don't want to get involved with the investment market um, that's not criticism um, it's just that you know their business model um, and if they can um, achieve their business ambitions by not getting involved with investors that's fine um, other brokers want to um, um, want to choose to work with investors either predominantly or, or wholly um, and that's not r- wrong either but it's a case of you know, just keeping up to date with what your market wants. You, uh, you, listen, the, the only thing you can guarantee is things aren't going to stay the same. So you know, um, it's the it's the um, the willingness to be uh, to embrace change as you need it. Um, and, and be aware and, and alert to what's changing you know uh, most of that for brokers is going to be driven by the FCA um, the FCA te- te- tell you how you've got it how you've got to change yeah, no,
0: they do. I think the FCA Um. They, there's a lot that it's changing with the FCA a lot more paperwork a lot more red tape but it's all in the client's interests. I feel so it's, it's all, it's
1: all right there. Oh, absolutely it is. yeah it's all it's all about protecting the client I mean you know the um, the FCA's driving um, force is to is to make um, finance safe for the retail retail customers. Um, as they turn. Well, look,
0: Kevin, keep fighting the good fight. Um, you know, I really appreciate your insights today on social media. How can people get in touch with you?
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Um, how can people
0: get in touch with you, Kevin? What's the best way?
1: Oh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't. I missed your question there. Um, very simple. Um, you can uh, email me uh, best email is inspireme at thinkpositively.co.uk with well, an
0: address it's classic <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah kevin thanks for your time and i'm sure we'll catch up on on facebook soon enough
1: i'm sure we will great
0: so that was something uh i don't know about you but i could listen to kevin talk property finance for hours on end A lot of real valuable nuggets just given away and some things I even learnt myself. What did you think? As always, thanks for listening. Please do give your feedback, subscribe to the podcast and tag me on socials at Where's Shaz. And until next time, be humble, be grateful, be peaceful.